Good evening. Welcome to our dinner party. We're your hosts, Bree and Leah, and we're so excited to have you for dinner. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the 10th anniversary of one of the best shows in the history of television, NBC's Hannibal. Each week we'll recap one episode from season one, so we encourage you to revisit the show along with us. If you happen to notice that any of our guests disappear from one week to the next, it would be quite impolite to ask any questions. Now who wants breakfast for dinner? So this week we are discussing season one, episode four, entitled Oof, Oof. which is very fun to say. (laughs) Oof. Uh, so this episode did not actually air on NBC. It was pulled at the last minute at Brian Fuller's request. Um, people speculated about why at the time, uh, but in subsequent interviews, uh, since Brian Fuller has pretty much said that it was because of the Sandy Hook shooting that this episode was kind of supposed to come out. It's in a too close proximity to that tragedy, and he didn't really feel comfortable with it and didn't feel like it was in good taste considering the subject oh, matter of this episode. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so if you watched this show as it originally aired, you didn't see this episode. I didn't see this episode. Um, what they ended up doing is on the 25th of April, 2013, they aired episode five instead. They just pulled episode four and then they released a heavily edited version of this episode for free online as like a web episode. And it was pretty much just the portions of the episode that you need to understand the plot going forward in season one. So they cut out all of Molly Shannon's parts. They cut out pretty much the whole kind of crime of the week part. It was just kind of focused on Abigail and the central three around her. Yes, exactly. So that went up for free online. And then like a week later, the full episode, the full uncut version of the episode that you can watch now on any streaming service went up for purchase on iTunes or Amazon. And then when the season came out on DVD, the episode was restored um, to its proper place in the episode lineup. So it it appeared as episode four. And then uh, every time that this show has gone up on a streaming service, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or wherever, because it's jumped around, currently it's on Hulu as of this recording. Um, But I know it was on Netflix for a long time. Uh, They had Oof as episode four in its uncut entirety. So if you watched this show after the fact, you would really never know um, that there was anything to do with this, this episode, that there was any, um, that it was ever gone. Yeah. (laughs) The only reason I ever found out that it wasn't aired is because I'm an unhinged person who made the show my whole personality after I started it. So (laughs) clearly I had to know everything. But if you were just a normal enjoyer of this show and you started it, after it was available on streaming sites, like you would never know that this wasn't ever the official episode four. So this will actually throw our like exact 10 year anniversary schedule off by a week, but (laughs) we can survive. (laughs) So let's get into the recap. This is a really good episode. It's very rich. I think we should say at the top that we both love the way that the two strands of this story are kind of intercut and thematically interwoven. It's really good. If you watch this show and you just like kind of watched it all the way through, if you're listening to this to kind of like just based off of memory, I would highly suggest going back and watching this particular episode again 
because I think you'll enjoy it a lot more the second time around, especially when you're able to kind of focus on those parallels because it's just so well written and it all sticks in your head after you're like already aware of the plot and everything, you know? Mm, like I just kept noticing more things as I was going on through this rewatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a good episode. So the episode begins with Will and Hannibal having a session, a meeting. They have a three- date, if you will. <laughs> a date that the FBI is paying for. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Extra stick it to the man, you know? (laughs) (laughs) They have three sessions in this episode, which is kind of a theme. I've been noticing that they they have three sessions together in many of the episodes. Well, it's kind of like um, the beginning, middle, and end of solving the kind of crime, you know, because he gets Hannibal's advice intermixed between, like, addressing his own issues throughout. Right. It becomes kind of a structural device. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this episode begins with Will talking about these dreams that he's been having. Um, He talks about how his house feels like the only safe place. It feels like this safe boat in this stormy sea of his life and his psyche. Um, And he starts kind of confessing, I, I would say prompted, I should note, but he starts kind of confessing to Hannibal the extent to which he really felt like he was Garrett Jacob Hobbs. And how close he got during that initial investigation. Because I think that was kind of always a concern of everyone around Will, because they understood that's kind of how his mind worked. And it seems like the only two who were kind of actively encouraging it, because A, it served their agendas, and B, like, they don't really have the best interest of Will at heart were Jack and Hannibal. (laughs) I hate to compare them because I hate one and I love the other and I don't hate the one you think I should. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so Hannibal is very interested in, in getting Will to explore this feeling. Uh, And he asks the super leading question. He asks Will, um, and we know for a fact at this point that Hannibal is the copycat killer and he killed Melissa Shul in episode three. He asks Will, how did you feel seeing Melissa Shul impaled in Garrett Jacob Hobbs's antler room? And Will says, guilty, um, because I feel like I killed her. And Hannibal is just like... He's like turned on. Like, he's yeah. like, oh, baby, speak dirty to me. Like... <laughs> Man never looks animated, aside from when Will is talking about liking murder. <laughs> it's true. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> it's true. So, um, yeah, Hannibal is really interested in this. He's like, oh, yeah, I keep talking. And Will kind of expounds upon how close he feels to Garrett Jacobs Hobbs and how he, you know, felt like he was Garrett Jacob Hobbs. And there's this really interesting auditory thing that happens with the sound for a moment while Will is describing this, the sound gets kind of like split and doubled a little bit. There's like a little kind of echoey effect that happens on top of itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the sound is sort of suggesting some sort of psychic, some sort of um, like duality. Yeah. Or like that, 
Will's having some sort of psychic break or something. Like there's some sort of split happening. Um, it's very weird. And the first time I watched it, I was like, is my computer just messing up the sound? (laughs) (laughs) But But it's very purposeful. And it clearly ends after they stop talking about this. So it's, it's just in that one particular scene. And I think this kind of marks the beginning of how much more playful, I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, but like, they they start experimenting more with the audio as we go throughout the show. And I think that becomes a much more like focused on method of storytelling, which is really interesting. Um, and this is kind of one of the first examples that we get of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so this ends with Will saying, I know who I am. I know I'm not Garrett Jacob Hobbs. But he says it because he says that kind of... I mean, almost unprompted, he says that. Like, it's it's not – I mean, he it's kind of like Will's figuring out a bit of Hannibal's game, and he's, like, wanting to straighten him out, you know? And he's like, I know who I am. And because of how much of the fact you can tell he's convincing himself, it becomes that much more unconvincing to the audience. And you're like, okay, so this is clearly going to be a problem. <laughs> so then – Right after that, we get a pretty grisly crime scene. We jump to this crime scene. We see these family photos splattered in blood. And then there's a whole family, children included, um, slumped over face first on this fully set dinner table. I mean, I think the one of the first bodies that you see is one like a little girl face down on the table with like, and then it kind of pans out and you see the mother's face looking out with a single gunshot wound to her forehead. All the food on the table is rotten. There's maggots and mold. It's really nasty. So then we get a pretty full-scale empathetic recreation that we realize that Will is there at the table. But it's 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 a lot more interesting than just kind of like him imagining it and kind of seeing it build together for the first time like we have previously because we get that kind of like frozen crime scene initially and like even the maggots are like still it looks like a photo and then as you see kind of will kind of reversing time and it gets less like um rotted and the bugs go away that kind of thing and then as it goes kind of and plays forward in time and you see it happen, that's when everything starts to become animated. So it be, it's like the crime, the crime only becomes like alive when Will is there to kind of like activate it. And it, it puts like a weird kind of like implication in your mind. You're like, oh, so Will is a part of this, you know? So it really it really does kind of like drop you into Will's perspective because he is the one that's kind of making these crimes come alive. Mhm. Yeah, it's very very effective. And so we have Will sitting at the head of the table um as he's sort of reimagining or like mentally reenacting the crime um and there's this really great shot of him 
center. He's in the center of the frame at the head of the table. And then the murder victims that he's imagining before they were murdered, they're alive or kind of flanking him on either side. And it's just this very symmetrical, very striking shot of Will right in the center as he's reimagining this crime at this dinner table. And he says, I'm sitting at the head of the table, the place of honor. And then he gets like playful with it. And he it this is this is the part that I really liked because unlike a few of the other crime scenes we've kind of seen him reenact, he actually kind of really imagines full dialogue in this, you know, and he like he taunts the little girl into eating her vegetables and 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 just it's it's very uh unpleasant to witness will. It, who previously we like have seen him only be like very gentle and I couldn't imagine him saying this to a child, you know, but then he says this to her and like she bites her broccoli out of fear, you know, and it's Hugh Dancy. It's Will's face, but it's not Will. No. Like he is someone He's totally different. Yeah. 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 And you can, oh, you just know it's Hannibal's wet dream seeing this, first of all. <laughs> But, but second of all, it's like, it's it's a really good example of how Will is basically just using his imagination to reenact these crimes because he doesn't actually know what happened word for word, you know? So, like, clearly this, what he's saying to this girl in his, in his imagination, in his re- recreation of this crime, like, it's not what he thinks, like, the murderer actually said. It's just something, it's like him just putting himself in that headspace, which is, like, so freaky. <laughs> and, and we will get into it more, you know, as, as the season goes on. But I, I think that's something to keep in mind going forward, like, how the sort of mechanisms of how the show uh, shows these reenactments don't necessarily change, but there are like these subtle things that happen that sort of up the ante every time through a season one. And it's also beautiful because every single time we have these moments, we have someone interrupt him to kind of like bring us back. And it really jars you and makes you realize that like no one else is seeing what Will is seeing. No one else saw what we just saw. And I think that really adds to kind of like the unsettling nature of what he's doing because he has to go immediately from that to like being back to himself and talking about this crime like it's a bad thing, you know, when he was just putting himself in a place where he was like enjoying it. That that just can't be easy on him. <laughs> no, no. And you're right. I think the show does a great job of visualizing that sort of jarring sense of having to re-enter the real world. Um, and in this case, we just it's get Jack this... barking at him. Well, we get this this kind of abrupt cut to we see Will is still sitting in the chair at the head of the table, but it's a different angle. We see him in profile and Jack is just looming behind him, watching him like sit there with his eyes closed doing his thing and you see Will has it, his hand up kind of gesturing because he was he was he was gesturing in his in his imagination and you can kind of see him shrink back into himself he goes from being very confident and like broad in his body language to just immediately back to kind of like this crumpled 
Like, he's making himself so much smaller than he is Mm -hmm. in the presence of Jack. Then there is a little more investigation that happens at this crime scene. Um, Will is kind of starting to tease out that there's something to do with family with this murder, that there are all of these family photos covered in blood, and it's a family at a dinner table, and he's starting to tug at this thread of of family as a motivation. So that really kind of establishes the theme theme for this episode. Especially because the the infamous line, he says, family values, and then Jack says, whose family? And that is really kind of just like the perfect synopsis for the entire episode, like all of the through lines. (laughs) So that really sets us up. And then... Uh, we get this scene of Hannibal at Will's house. And we know that it's Will's house because of all the dogs. And we know what Will's house looks like, but it's the dogs that are the tip off. And we find out later in the episode that Hannibal is dog sitting for Will, that Will knew Hannibal was going to be there. And uh, it's expected, but we don't find out that out till later. And so as you're watching the episode for the first time, it almost seems like Hannibal's doing like a little light B and E, like he's just because he comes in to the house and he feeds the dogs. He brought some sausages for the dogs. Hopefully, not human sausages. Oh, you know it's humans. He doesn't have regular meat, Leah. That's true. Okay. Also, that's like kind of that's kind of a joke because when you talk about feeding dogs human food, like I would call a regular sausage a human sausage. <laughs> Like, it's not dog food, for sure. (laughs) But in this case, I'm actually talking about a sausage made of human meat. But you would describe them both as human sausage. Hannibal would be proud. I love it. Hannibal would be proud of me. (laughs) So Hannibal, you know, feeds the dogs. And then he starts snooping around Will's house. Full on opening underwear drawers. Yeah, he like looks in his underwear drawer. I mean, it's undershirts and socks, but I'm like... He w- he was looking. He looked in all of the drawers. He, he looked, looked in all, all the of drawers. them. He, he sniffed did. some stuff. <laughs> you know he did, though. <laughs> Moving on. <clears throat> and so there's this moment where Hannibal kind of finds all of Will's fishing gear. And there's a little fishing lure that's kind of in progress that uh, Will is in the middle of fletching, you know, putting the feathers on and Hannibal just very carefully like finishes making the lure and it's like very intimate and you don't know what he's doing or why he's doing it but it also it feels very intrusive yes that's what I mean by intimate I think yeah, <laughs> is that yeah. like it feels like he's doing something he shouldn't be doing in the house of someone that he's like new friends with it doesn't feel kind of like a harmless gesture or like something he's just doing without intent it feels like there's a reason, and it's probably not a good one. Mm-hmm. And then also, Hannibal takes the the fishing hook, the lure, and pricks his thumb with it, and then puts it back. So he's leaving his DNA for something. Then he licks the blood. Yeah, and then Hannibal sensually licks his own blood off of his thumb. That's hot. I'm mainly just trying to to disappoint my mother at this point. <laughs> So then we get to, we get back to Abigail 
We have a scene where Alana visits Abigail in the mental hospital where Abigail is staying. And it becomes really clear that Abigail does not belong there. And it's clearly not helping her. Something's not working. Like, I'm not saying that Hannibal's suggestions are correct. I'm just saying that Alana's not right either. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe there should be a third party in in here that actually practices some like more level-headed psychology (laughs) i don't know yeah alana kind of comes in checks on abigail abigail's clearly not doing well in this place and she feels everything that alana suggests from like up until this point Especially, like, her concerns with going back to the cabin in the previous episode. Like, she feels, like, very much a by-the-books psychologist. Like, she does things, like, in a very safe way. A very safe as in, like, she doesn't, like, try to push any boundaries. Right, nothing unorthodox. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so everything that she suggests, it feels like you could read it out of kind of, like, Psychology 101, you know? And... It feels like Abigail's kind of already on the offense against that, you know? And so she's really not, she's not letting herself. Abigail's just not responding to it. Yeah, she's not responding. And it's clearly not working, but Alana is not getting that. I mean, again, I don't know how much of this is just the show's dry humor, but, like, Alana literally says, and how does that make you feel in this scene at one point? Like, that's her approach is just so, like, like I said, almost to the point that it's kind of funny, just, like, very standard, exactly what you would expect a therapist character to say. And, like, someone, a therapist character that is, like, being the butt of the joke, you know, not necessarily. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, Mm -hmm. it feels kind of purposeful. Because she, because her whole thing is that she really wants Abigail to get involved with group therapy. And then we find out from Abigail some of the other characters that are in this group therapy. And we're like, no shit, she doesn't want to be in that. Like, one of the creepy little girls was like, did you keep your bloodstained clothes? Like, I would not go back to that group therapy. No, no, no. No, no. (laughs) So Alana can tell that this isn't really working. Like she can tell she's not getting through to Abigail. So she goes to Hannibal's office because they're just colleagues. Um, and she has no idea that he's a psycho. Which is another element of humorous of of the humorous kind of uh bit of the show because there's no way any sane intelligent person has not picked up on a lot of the weird vibes <laughs> that Hannibal has been giving off. The amount of times he's directly suggested things against what she has, like, in a way where he's clearly just trying to start shit, and it just never, never triggers anything in her. No. So she goes to Hannibal's office and is like, oh my god, it was such a hard day, I'm not getting through to Abigail, like, do you have a beer? And he has a fully stocked bar in his office, apparently. His office is huge, so it doesn't surprise me that he's got a mini fridge in there somewhere, or whatever the fancy version of a mini fridge is. (laughs) In my head, I know it's not right, because we get, like, full pictures of his home and everything, but in my head, he, like, his office was attached to his home. There's just, there's just no way, you know? <laughs> so His office is so well appointed. So, so well stocked of everything. Yeah. So it's at this point that Hannibal mentions to Alana that he 
feels like he would like to take Abigail into his custody, that he would take care of her, you know, because Alana says, you know, Abigail doesn't really want to be in this institution, but there's like, we don't know who's going to take her. Like, for now, there's just nowhere else for her to go. And Hannibal, she has no family. Yeah. And Hannibal's kind of like, well, you know, I'd take her. And he kind of plants that seed. And Alana's like, no, that's a bad idea. And Hannibal, to Alana's face, agrees. He defers to her politely, uh, but he in no way, shape, or form aborts his plan to become <laughs> to get Abigail as his ward. Um, so, yeah, he kind of plants that seed in Alana's mind at that point. It also is kind of used as a way to to trap Alana to come back later because he knows that she's going to automatically assume that that is where Abigail is when Abigail is missing from the hospital. So it's like a sure way for her, for him to ensure she comes back because he needs her there for his like grand plan to work. Yes. Which we see come together at the end of this episode. Yeah. Or start to come together at the end of this episode. Which is like arguably more diabolical than like the horrible murders we see. (laughs) (laughs) Hannibal is so good at manipulation. Um, that's uh, scary. You, and you just, you want to condemn it, but you can't because it's genius. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get two more one-on-ones with Hannibal. We get another meeting between Will and Hannibal uh, where they talk about their moms, which fits with the theme of this week's crime. You got to know your husband, you know, in-laws, that kind of thing. What to expect. <laughs> So it's, this scene begins after a commercial break. So we have like the cut and it comes back and it's Hannibal says, tell me about your mother. And Will says, that's some lazy psychiatry, Dr. Lecter. <laughs> Where was he when Abigail and Alana were talking? <laughs> so we get a little backstory for both of them. We find out that Will's mother is dead. He says he doesn't really, he didn't really know his mother. And Hannibal says that he, both of his parents were, uh, killed and he went to live with his uncle i think he says and he well he was he was um on his own at an orphanage until he was 16 he said that's when his uncle came to he went to stay with his uncle when he was 16 which is quite a long time to go without any family yeah that was a big understatement <laughs> i know <don't. laughs> just he said that so blase like yeah that's a, that's a while to go without a family <laughs> I mean, I personally would have been fine. How how hard can it be to be an orphan? (laughs) Only for 16 years. His uncle showed up eventually. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Too late, clearly. (laughs) The damage had been done. So then we get another dinner scene between Jack and Hannibal. So it seems like this is kind of a regular thing now that Jack goes over to Hannibal's for dinner. I know, I hate it. (laughs) and we get a mention of jack's wife and we get a a fantastic cannibal joke hannibal says to jack you promised to deliver your wife to my table you know meaning i thought she was going to come with you to dinner but also meaning like i'm gonna eat her Uh, yeah exactly (laughs) and so we we get a delightful scene where jack again playing right into hannibal's grabby cannibal hands is like (laughs) What am I putting into my mouth? And Hannibal, of course, tells him it's rabbit. Obviously, it's not rabbit. And Jack says playfully, like, oh, we should have hopped faster. And Hannibal lights up and he's like, 
yeah, he really should have. And then we get this horrific flash of this man trying to run away from Hannibal. And that's clearly who they're eating right now. Mm-hmm. Again, it's horrific, but it's funny. It's so funny. It's it's just the, the way that it's timed and, like, the amount of the flashback we get. And, like, it's it's absurd. It's and perfect it's editing. So yeah. funny. It's so funny. And you feel immediately horrible for laughing. <laughs> I mean, after a certain point, you have to stop feeling horrible because it's the whole show. You just gotta roll with it. As someone whose comfort show is Hannibal... You you end up just kind of embracing it. Yeah, yeah. So Jack and Hannibal, of course, are discussing Will, their favorite subject. In a very condescending way, of course, on Jack's Jack's (laughs) end. Yeah, yeah. It comes up again that Jack thinks that Abigail helped her dad with the murders. And he's clearly just, he's, he's, keeps mentioning it because he's hoping eventually someone's going to agree agree with him. But so far, (laughs) no one has. But it, it's it's getting annoying at this point. It's a one-man crusade. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Jack, we get it. You think she's guilty. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, Hannibal's not even having it either. He's just like, I mean, that's the best part about the conversations between Jack and Hannibal is Hannibal never gives Jack what he wants. He will, like, defer to Alana when they have their conversations, and he won't say exactly what's on his mind, mostly because you know he's kind of like manipulating her to use her later to serve a purpose like you can tell he's got her like on the back burner for something but with jack it's clearly like a manipulation game for fun (laughs) it's just like a ping pong (laughs) it kind of does seem like he's just having fun with jack the hannibal version of fun feeding him human flesh and (laughs) and just and just like bantering (laughs) bantering and 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 waiting to use what they talk about to like make will hate jack (laughs) yeah you know he's just collecting Mm -hmm. ammo and he's like yep (laughs) i'm gonna repeat everything you say to my husband (laughs) and he's never gonna agree with you or be on your side (laughs) so after this dinner scene we start to have a theory of the crime of the week coming together um we have a scene in the forensics lab where price and zeller are putting it together and Bev are putting it together that the killers are children based on the size of footprints. And based on these footprints, they link another missing boy, a missing child case to the murders, the murder that they, the murder scene that this uh, episode began with. So then um, the crew like Jack and, and, and Will and, the rest of the team, they go to North Carolina uh, based on the leads that they have from these footprints. That's where this missing kid is from. Mm-hmm. And they find another crime scene. They find another murder scene. It's what I call the creepy Christmas crime. Like clearly they're, they're one step behind the, the murdering group. Yes, yes. They arrived too late. So the murder had, or the next murder had already happened and they find this crime scene. So from this crime scene, they, from the evidence they find there, um, the FBI matches a bullet from a gun that ties to a missing person and murder case that happened a long time ago. 
like years ago, years prior to the first murder that they were investigating of this group. And that's when they realized that there is the missing boy, CJ Lincoln, who must be a part of this group. And he's no longer a little boy. He's a teen. He's like an older teen. And they're thinking maybe he's the ringleader and maybe he's taking these other boys and making them kill their families. Um, and then they start calling them the Lost Boys. Yes. So the FBI's working theory is that CJ, this older kid, is kind of in charge of this crew of younger kids and he's forcing them to kill their families. But then we cut to a scene of this group of boys and this older woman. Uh, she's played by Molly Shannon, very against type. Yes, it was so disturbing to see Molly Shannon play an evil woman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the casting is really effective for that reason. Yeah. I mean, I mean she's I know- so talented. It, yeah. It, it's not like it doesn't work, but it was it's a shock. Yeah, it's extra sure. disturbing, I think, because you're not used to seeing her play characters like that, like this. Um, and so sh- it's clear from this scene, they're in a diner. She's, you know, bought milkshakes for all the boys. Like, she is the ringleader. It's clear from this this scene. And CJ just happened to be the first boy that she took. Right. That she's sort of collected these boys. She's abducted them. She wants to, she's trying to create this family for herself with these boys. And in order for them to love her, in her mind, she thinks she has to make them kill their own mothers. Well, and she says that you can only have one family. So for them to fully choose her as their new family, they have to willingly get rid of their old family. And it's clear that the newest member of the group, who is the only one out of everyone left that hasn't killed their family yet, he it is clearly his turn next. She says to that effect, like, that's why we're going to your family's house. It'll be good to say goodbye. Um, But it's clear he isn't fully bought in and he's very scared and there's a lot of um, coercion happening from the oldest boy, CJ, and he's terrified out of his mind. And then we get a glimpse of the youngest boy who is the first murder scene that we see was his family that got killed. And he's just slurping away at his milkshake, like, fine. He's like zoned out. It's so. It's chilling, honestly. Very chilling. It's very chilling because he's so young. He's the youngest out of all of them. He has little glasses and he's got like little messy, floppy hair. And he's just so small and innocent looking. And we're told that he was the one that killed his whole family. And that later on, like the one of them that isn't there anymore that died in the creepy Christmas crime scene. He was put in the fire and killed because he couldn't go through with murdering his family. So it like puts it even more into perspective because you're like the two that are there with the one boy, you know, for sure they've gone through with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that they're basically beyond saving. Like there's, there's no hope for those kids. Like, I don't know how you can't make it back from that. No, it's so dark. So after this scene, we cut back to the FBI crew and they are really trying to make this crime make sense. Uh, but the the theory that one of the boys is the ringleader just isn't really working. Um, 
the CJ doesn't seem the type to kind of lead this band of killers. And Jack says, well, um, they don't see how he could have the, the enough control over them because it's not something that he could make these boys do on fear alone. Right. And they're looking at his kind of record before he was abducted and Jack's like, this kid was kind to animals for God's sake. Like he's not a he's not a budding psychopath. There were no red flags. Like Which this makes doesn't it make even sense. Worse because you know that Molly Shannon's character did a number on him to get him to where he's at now. God, that's disturbing. <laughs> so at this point, Will starts to put it together. He's like, there has to be someone older involved. There has to be some sort of mother figure. They're all killing their mothers. There's some sort of surrogate mother figure who's making them do this. And they, because they realize also at the the crime scene of the Christmas house, they're, all of the presents for the mom are missing. And so it feels like they're, this and the focus on the mothers at the previous scenes, like there's clearly something with motherhood happening. And so it's it's not making sense that that would be the focus of the the younger boy right if cj was in charge it doesn't make sense right so then we get another really disturbing scene with molly shannon and the boys um they're at this convenience store and i mean thank god it happens because it's the only reason that they're stopped but (laughs) right yeah so they're at this convenience store and the kid who is about to have to kill his family is having a really hard time like, he pees himself in the middle of the store. But it's, it's only after he's standing b- beside the the surrogate murder mother, and he looks over, and CJ is kind of, like, leering at him from across the room. And it's just, like, it's the most threatening, upsetting, awful interaction between the two of them. And, like, you just can't help but feel so bad for this kid like he is terrified i mean do you know how scared you have to be to actually pee yourself like that i know that's used as like such a like a common thing like it's exaggerated all the time about like people being like scared and they like but it's like you have to be terrified to lose control over your bladder like that and it's handled so sweetly by the mother too because she's she's doting on him and she's like it's not your she's like oh i'm so embarrassed to the gas station clerk but then she looks at him and she's like but you shouldn't be embarrassed because this happens a little and like so it's clear that like there is some kind of like mothering instinct in her right i mean mean, she's delusional yeah she does kind of and it just makes it that much sadder because you're like in another life, she could have been a mom, you know, like, so it's just like, what happened to have her end up here, you know, like, and it's just all of these little things that really build this incredible backstory that make it all the more upsetting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then we cut back to Hannibal, and we have a couple more scenes with Hannibal. Uh, We have, uh, Will and Hannibal have their final meeting of the episode. And in this meeting, in this session, Will is clearly like worked up. He comes in, he has this gift for Abigail that he decided not to give her because he's like, that's inappropriate. I I can't give her this gift. Honestly, it was. So I'm glad he chose not to. Right, right. (laughs) And, um, And Hannibal is kind of talking to Will and they're discussing sort of 
ultimately their shared feelings for Abigail um, that Hannibal... Parental feelings. Right. Parental, yes. I just had to make it clear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's too much fucked up things happening in this show. I had to make it very clear. Parental feelings. Yeah. So, you know, Hannibal is trying to get Will to kind of work through, you know, what his attachment to Abigail is. And Hannibal asks Will, you know, are you feeling parent or are you feeling paternal, Will? And Will says, yes, aren't you? He, like, snaps back at him. Yeah. And Hannibal agrees. He says, yes. So in this scene, they basically agree that they want to be Abigail's gay dads. Like, it's... Confirmed. It's canon. It's there. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, So Hannibal goes kind of... Continues on his plan to bring Abigail into his custody. Well, because it's almost like this is just reaffirmed his his plans he's like yes will wants to be my husband slash (laughs) father to abigail with me (laughs) we are going to have a family (laughs) i'm going to make it happen (laughs) even if it's in a terrible way (laughs) and again i mean there this is i think where this is the part of the section of the episode where this parallel between the kind of crime of the week and what's going on with hannibal really comes into focus because we see Hannibal in action trying to coerce and manipulate Abigail into being his family. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's trying to force her perspective and basically using, quote unquote, like therapy to replace her associations with her parents with Hannibal in particular. Yes. So he goes to the institution where Abigail is staying and he breaks her out for the night, basically. He's like, yeah, we're going to leave. Come have dinner at my house. Um, But I have to bring you back. I have to bring you back. You can't sleep at my house, but let's go hang out. Get out of here. And so he brings Abigail back to his house and um, he's there's, you know, this scene of him cooking as they're chatting and, and there's this establishing shot when they first get to Hannibal's kitchen of this, this mushroom tea. It's this close up of this clear glass teapot. And there are like these flowering kind of mushrooms in the pot. So it's exactly what you think it is. It's mushrooms, it's drugs. And Hannibal is very upfront with Abigail about it. He doesn't, um, secretly drug her. He tells her what it is, but he frames the drug use in terms of kind of therapeutic use. So he tells her like, this is part of your treatment. And he's like, I want you to do this specific drug supervised by me. Abigail drinks the tea and starts tripping and Hannibal is preparing breakfast for dinner and, and eggs and sausage was the last thing that uh, Abigail's right that Abigail ate with her her real parents, and so uh, Hannibal he does straight up say, as you said, Bree, that that for therapeutic reasons, Abigail needs to replace her negative associations with her parents with positive associations, so that she can start healing. But it becomes clear as this scene goes on that it's exactly like you said, Bree. Hannibal is trying to replace. Or Hannibal is trying to get Abigail to make associations between 
her father and Hannibal. Yeah, he's trying to link Hannibal to family. But he and he frames it in a way where he's trying to say like, oh, we're just we're taking away the negative connotations to this event and making it positive. He doesn't really make it sound like he's trying to replace her family, which <laughs> right. is what he's doing. Which is what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and they do in this scene before she takes the drugs, acknowledge their mutual secrets, um, their murder secrets. And they both, uh, Abigail agrees to keep Hannibal's secret if he keeps hers. So she's kind of acknowledging that she knows that he was the man on the phone and from what she's heard of the investigation while she was at the cabin with everyone, she knows that there's more to the man on the phone than just being the man on the phone. Like she, she has a good inclination that Hannibal has done bad things. Yes. Yes. So that is acknowledged and that's, you know, that's part of the manipulation still, um, which is the continuing thread from the previous episode. So then we go from the scene in Hannibal's house to back to the crime of the week. Um, Will and company uh, have gotten possession of um, CCTV footage from the convenience store, and they caught uh, this unidentified older woman with these group of boys that they've, that they've already identified, and they're like, all right. She's the one. She's the one in charge. And they're able to identify the one boy in particular who they had they, – they weren't for sure able to narrow down where the group was going next, but they're able to figure out who this boy is particularly and how he was the missing child in the area where they already knew kind of they were going to go, which was Carolina. So they were – they're able to kind of race to – where this boy's house is and just in time because they're basically like about to do the murdering um well the boy is standing outside with his family and he has a gun it's not clear if he's going to be able to do anything because he doesn't want to and so we have jack clearly going in with a goddamn shotgun making things worse, heightening the tension, and CJ gets killed or shot immediately through the shoulder. I don't know if he gets killed, but hopefully he does because there's no future for that boy. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but he cannot be helped. Um it's it's too late for him. I don't I don't know what to tell you. Um the littlest boy, I no, I still don't think there's hope for him either, but I just I truly think he'll just be in an institution for the rest of his life. Like there's no other alternative. Um, but we end up with kind of the crime scene on lock, except for in the very end of the yard, the pseudo mother, Molly Shannon, is holding the the little boy whose family is it was almost killed at gunpoint, or she's kind of holding the gun to his chest and he has the gun pointed out. And she's telling him to shoot Will because Will has his gun on him and Will's trying to talk him down and tell him he doesn't actually want to do this. And he's he's clearly like so emotionally invested and like it's not going to end well for Will if he can't save this boy. 
because we already kind of got that insight from the last meeting with Hannibal where he was like, these kids don't know what they've thrown away. And he's so, he's so, he can't grasp the idea that these kids had family like this and, and willingly lost it. So he's really trying to get through to this boy. And you don't, you can't tell if it's going to work. You don't know what direction it's going to go. But thankfully, Bev is off to the side. God knows why she's at the crime scene. She is for sure a forensic chick. She would so. not be part of the raid. <laughs> no. <laughs> but she was there. And she shoots um, Molly Shannon's character in the arm. So she falls backwards. And we're able. they're able to disarm the boy. And um, everyone is able to kind of like be separated and grabbed. And then we proceed with the most unsympathetic arrest of this boy who is clearly a victim and i and didn't kill anyone to be clear (laughs) i still can't i can't wrap my head around how brutal they were to this kid like you they wouldn't even let him see his mother no and jack is i'm sorry jack is a dick to this kid like there is no reason to be this rough with this kid like he's clearly had a very very difficult time. He was A, abducted, B, brainwashed by this group and held t- terrified of them. I mean, we saw CCT footage of him peeing himself. He was so scared. And then is brought into this crazy situation, doesn't shoot anyone, is held at gunpoint by the fake mom. And I understand them like wanting to keep not let the kid see his mom right away and make sure everything's okay and like having to keep them separate for you know reasons of you know safety and everything but they could have been more gentle with this kid they were not very nice to him well because jack straight up treats him like he's guilty and like he committed the murder yeah yeah and the kid's like i wasn't going to do it like and like he doesn't even like let him speak basically I mean, it's implied later that Jack gets more of the story from him, but it's still done in a very unsympathetic way. And the whole time I was just like, damn, that is a little boy and I feel terrible. (laughs) So Jack does not win any points in this episode either. (laughs) You're keeping a tally. He has negative points right now. in the red. (laughs) He's in the red and we're not even in episode five yet. (laughs) So... That kind of resolves the crime of the week thread of this episode. Um, and in the, the happiest ending that you can get in a show like this. Yeah. Yeah. So then the episode concludes with this sequence at Hannibal's house. Hannibal still has Abigail there. They're about to eat dinner, and Alana bursts into Hannibal's house because she has heard that Abigail's missing. She's not at the institution where she's supposed to be. And of course, she figures, well, obviously, she's at Hannibal's. So she is furious with Hannibal. And she tells him, you know, for someone who's so concerned with courtesy and etiquette and whatever, like this was uncalled for. And she she has one of the best lines of the episode. She calls what he did rude, shockingly rude, Hannibal. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Hannibal literally like duck his head down and be like, I'm sorry. Like, (laughs) yeah, he performs contrition. He gets a little he's like a chastised child. (laughs) Right. He likes to let Alana think that he thinks she's right. That's part of his long game with her. Which, again, is another reason that she should have immediately seen through it, but (laughs) 
Exactly. <laughs> Whenever a man is like, yeah, you're right all the time, it's suspicious. Red flag. <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> He's deferring to her judgment? Red flag. <laughs> so Hannibal lies about drugging Abigail. He, he covers his ass. He tells... Alana, well, she was really anxious when she got here. You were right. I shouldn't have taken her out of the institution. And she was really anxious. So I gave her a sedative because she was too stressed. And Alana's like, a sedative? What did you give her? And Hannibal's like, oh. like, stressed. <laughs> yeah. Hannibal's like, oh, just to have a Valium. So if she seems a little spacey, that's why it's fine. I just gave her half a baby Valium. It's like, it's candy. It's fun. <laughs> With how much trauma she's had, she could have half a Valium. Yeah, I, know. I agree with that. Half a Valium as a treat. <laughs> Orphans get half a Valium as a treat. <laughs> so Alana's like, okay, whatever. I'll stay for dinner. Make sure Abigail's she, she okay. She walks in and she's like, oh, you were expecting me because there's a table place set out for her. And again, at that point, I would be even more pissed because I'd be clearly suspicious. he's like thought this through enough to know she was going to come. So it's like, what? It's clearly a trap. Yeah, but she doesn't do anything. She just sits her ass down and is like, all right, I guess we're having breakfast for dinner. <laughs> right. And Abigail is clearly loopy. Her eyes are like glazed and she's kind of like staring off into space. Like as a, as a, 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 a woman who practices the field of medicine and science, shouldn't she know what half a dose of Valium looks like? <laughs> it's all right. I want to know. Right. So Hannibal and Alana sit down with Abigail and they're kind of talking and, and Abigail is looking at the two of them and she sees, you know, we get kind of a POV shot from Abigail. We see her, we see what she would see. We see, Hannibal and Alana sitting at the table. They're kind of just talking and they're asking, she's, Alana's asking how Abigail is. Like she's saying, how are you doing? And then Hannibal, she doesn't kind of answer and it's, it's muffled because we're hearing it from Abigail's perspective. And she's like having auditory issues because she's on mushrooms. Um, and we hear Hannibal say, Abigail, what do you see? Mm -hmm. Because he knows that she's seeing tripping. Shit, you know, again, <laughs> right. why would that not trigger alarm bells in Alana? But, you know, clearly she's a shit doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he says, like, what do you see? And then Alana or then Abigail replies with family. I see family. That's when we get this POV shot. So we see Hannibal and Alana, and then everything goes out of focus. And it comes back into focus, and you see Garrett Jacob Hobbs and Abigail's real dead mom. And then everything goes out of focus again, and it goes back into focus, and it's Hannibal and Alana again. And it's a really amazing way of visually communicating that this replacement is happening in Abigail's psyche. Just the way Hannibal planned it. It's so sinister. And Abigail is happy about this, obviously, because she's getting family back and she's and she's creating a home. And so you see kind of the how how much easier it's going to be for Hannibal to manipulate her in the future. This is clearly kind of just like the beginning, like the first the first stone laid down, you know. The first brick put down. Yes, yes. And I love 
the as we were talking about the resonance between the two plots you have molly shan and evil mommy and hannibal evil daddy, evil daddy. <laughs> yeah yeah and and this kind of forced replacement of family yes yes this mm-hmm. this forced creation of family mm-hmm. um and kind of this this well it, it's said it's like a perversion of found family <laughs> it's a, it's a perversion of family which is kind of it's said straightforward it's that said word for word by jack earlier in the episode or no by hannibal by hannibal because because they're talk it's in one of the sessions and will and hannibal are talking about like what the leader of the group is is trying to do and like what her motivations are and uh, Will says something about like motherhood, and then Hannibal says, "No, a perversion of motherhood," and that's exactly what's happening here. It's a perversion of family. Yes. So I love the way those two halves of the episode come together. So I think it's time for our nightcap section. Clink 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 clink. <laughs> Miscellaneous <laughs> details. Uh, so the first thing that I wanted to mention is one of my favorite lines in the episode comes pretty early in the episode. It's from Price. And it's when they're the whole crew is at this first crime scene. And, and Will is going, um, Can I read it out? I have yes, it Will is going on a on a poetic flight of fancy as he's wont to do. <laughs> Will just straight up out of nowhere, just goes off and says, false faces and family portraits, layers and layers of lies betrayed by a sad glint in the child's eyes. <laughs> yeah, he's like kind of describing like, these photos that he sees. He's kind of like describing the mood of the crime scene. And uh, Price says, Norman Rockwell with a bullet. It's so punchy and good. It's so punchy and good. It's like also very Lana Del Rey coded. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Price is a Lana girly. Um, that tracks, actually. <laughs> Uh, so then we also have a really good Beverly and Will scene in this episode. It's one of my favorites. We have, uh, Bev goes to see Will when he's at his classroom preparing for a lesson and doing some research on the murders. And she's gotten some, uh, ballistic report back or something that she's going to talk to him about. But she walks in and sees him very, like, zoned out. And so she starts kind of giving an anecdote about this artist that she knows about or she read about and how he can like work between beats of his heart because he gets so focused and he, she names him and then kind of like gets closer to Will and he kind of like hmms and responds to what she's saying. And then she asks him a direct question, which gets him to like actually look at her and answer and then they're talking about the crime scene, and then she brings it back to the artist, and she says something about, so like she says the the artist's name again, and that he did the same thing, and Will just goes like, "Who? Who's that?" <laughs> and it's it's a moment, and Bev just like looks at him, and she's so clearly endeared by this, and it kind of just really cements the beginning of a friendship between them, because we we've gotten little hints at the fact that. Be- Bev and Will get along, you know, they're the two that are kind of really like bonding out of the group of of forensic people. And um, this is one of those moments that you're like, oh, my God, they're besties. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
So this next thing is something that the nightcap section was made for. Just things that live in my brain rent-free, but have nothing to do with the plot of the episode. And the thing for me that fills that slot in this episode is when Hannibal is in the kitchen cooking for Abigail, he pulls this maneuver, he tosses a potato in the air, and catches it on a chef's knife. And it's like... We love a competent man. It's so stupid. It's like a party trick or something. But like when Mads Mickelson does it, it's like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> but like also when you think about it, like a potato would be relatively easy to catch on a knife. I mean, you have to be coordinated. I don't know. I feel like I could do it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not very coordinated. If you gave me 10 takes, I could probably do it. It's just like the confidence with which he does it. And it's so unexpected. And it's kind and of you know playful. it only took him one take. Yeah. You know. Well, and it's also, it's kind of playful too. And it's just like. Yeah, because it's between him and Abigail and Abigail kind of like smiles at it. It's a, it's a, it's a cute moment. Yeah. So finally, this episode actually doesn't end with the dinner scene uh, between Abigail and Alana and and Hannibal that's the fu- the that's kind of the last major scene but then we get two little end tags the very very end of the episode is Will going to sleep and you can just see he's about to have a terrible nightmare when it cuts to the credits and and before that we get a little scene with Jack and his aforementioned wife it's our very first glimpse of Jack's wife played by the marvelous Gina Torres And you see in this very brief scene, you can tell how broken their relationship is. You can tell something is not right in their marriage. And it's it's making more and more sense why Jack hasn't brought her to his little dinners with Hannibal. Because he makes that kind of like little offhand joke comment about not wanting Hannibal to like diagnose all of their marital problems in one fell swoop. But it's like, clearly that's more on the nose than he would like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we get this this first glimpse of Jack's wife and there is more of her and more of their relationship dynamic to come. Mm-hmm. It's just a little taste. So thank you for joining us for this recap of season one, episode four. Oof. You can join <laughs> us next week. <laughs> Oof. Oof. <laughs> you get to hear all our terrible... French accents for all of these titles (laughs) for season one. Just wait till we get to season three and we have to do Japanese. So you can join us next week for our recap of season one, episode five, which is called Koki. Don't ask me what it means. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to keep up with the podcast, we post updates for this podcast on our Fang Club accounts. So you can find us on um, Instagram or Twitter at Fang Club Pod. Um, on Twitter, we use the hashtag Friends for Dinner Pod when we post about this podcast. So you can also just follow that podcast. You can also just follow that hashtag. And feel free to use that hashtag as well to let us know anything, give us any kind of comments, anything on Twitter. We will be checking that hashtag. So, yes. So, we will see you next week. We look forward to talking more about our favorite show and we hope you bring your appetite Mm -hmm. (laughs) i tried to say that as ominously as possible we'll see you Mm -hmm. next week but i'm not very (laughs) ominous Uh, too sweet too sweet to be a cannibal